I'd like to first thank my um, leaders and my fellow students. Um, this has been one of my favorite seasons in my entire life, and so it wouldn't have been that way if it weren't for you guys. So thank you, and God. Um, so the first thing is um, I've, there we go. Uh, we will be tracking God's redemptive plan throughout the entire Bible. Um, and what God's redemptive plan is, is it's God's plan to bring humanity back to an intimate relationship with him. Um, you'll see later on that uh, it was that relationship was broken, and God spends the entire Bible and continues to, even to this day, to restore relationship back with us. Um, I will also be focusing on character and nature, and specifically um, God's character of restorer. Um, there are many times in the Bible where God restores big things and little things, and for the most part, I'll be focusing on the little things that God brings restoration to. Um, first is origins and worldview. So this is a quick timeline. Um, so what is going on? So basically, we have the creation, the fall, God, build, uh, God creates the world and everything in it, and then he says it's lonely and needs people. So then he, builds, or he creates people, Adam and Eve, they fall, um, and so God spends the rest of, of Genesis redeeming his people back to him through the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, um, and that involves Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Abraham was uh, asked by God to sacrifice his only son, um, and he goes to, and God uh, blesses his faithfulness to him um, through that covenant. Um, and then Joseph and... There's actually two different slaveries involved with Joseph. There's the slavery of Joseph, and there's the slavery of the people that um, comes from Joseph being in Egypt. Um, so they spend some time in Exodus, and basically a bunch of stuff happens, and they get, uh, after 40 years or 400 years, they are exiled into the wilderness after escaping. Um, that's where Moses, God appoints Moses, um, as the new leader of the people, he um, brings what we know as the Ten Commandments down, um, and that's his way of redeeming his people back to him, or at least trying to with, hey guys, you're going to be my people, but also there's some rules that you have to follow. Um, and so they also get this awesome thing called the tabernacle, and that's a place where they can come to uh, worship God in a way they've never been able to before. Um, it per, uh, creates a safe place for them to um, live in his presence. Um, so God is restorer. Um, this is just tracking Genesis, or Joseph's storyline. Um, God used Joseph's circumstances to help his people through a terrible drought um, after his brothers had sold him into slavery, as you see in Genesis 37, 28. Um, God restored his position from a slave to ruler of Pharaoh's house. Um, he also... Uh, restored Joseph's individual life and brought his family back and brought a ton of healing from that. Next is the Pentateuch. Oh, there is the um, some of what was happening within that time. Um, so in this section, uh, the ordering of the tabernacle, what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to function. Um, God also uses the Deuter uh, Deuteronomic covenant, which is the blessings and curses. If you do this, then this will happen. Cause and effect things that you learn as a child, but these guys are also children of, quite literally children of God. They're still learning what it means to follow God, what it means to 
um, be God's people and what it means to go against the creator. Um, this is also the time when Moses has a ton of stuff happening with him. And eventually he gets to a point where even with the promise, um, loom, the promised land looming in the future, he fails. And so Joshua is appointed to bring the people into the promised land in the next section. Um, and then Moses dies after anointing Joseph, or Joshua. Sorry. Tribal. So this is a little crazy. Um, so basically what happens is they've been in the promised land. Um, they fail to claim the land fully. God says, hey, take these people. Uh, we're going to take this land and we're going to kick out all the people because these people are not good for you. They're ruining the relationship with you, uh, with between you and I, and they need to just get gone. You need to take care of them. Um, and so the people are like, yeah, cool. So these guys are scary and we like these guys. We're not going to do that. And so they don't do anything about it. Um, they kick out some of them, but not all of them. And that ends up sending them um, into corruption. Their hearts are corrupted by the, um, by the corrupt people. Um, they don't stay pure to God. They don't stay with the rules in the tabern of the tabernacle. They don't follow the uh, covenant promises and curses. Um, they're just kind of all over the place. And God says, mm, no, you guys need a leader because Joshua's about to die. You guys need someone. So period of the judges is when, um, yeah, God just raises up these people and says, these are my appointed ones. These are the ones that are going to lead you. You need to listen to them. They're your bosses. And people say, yeah, we're kind of going to do that. We're kind of not. We'll see. And so what happens is they serve the Lord. They're in right relationship with the Lord. They're super happy. And then sin comes in. Because remember, they never kicked out all of the inhabitants of the promised land. Um, so they fall into sin. Then Israel gets enslaved because covenantal blessings and curses. Um, they get really upset. They're like, God, where are you? There's, we're, we're miserable right now. And so they're like, we're going to repent. Please help us, God. And so then God gives them a judge to rule them. And they kind of, for the most part, listen to him. And Israel is delivered. And then the whole cycle kind of starts off again. They're in re right relationship with God. And then temptation creeps in. Um, also within this, um, we meet, so some of the judges are Samson, Gideon, and Deborah. Um, and so there are some good judges, some really bad judges. Samson was one of those ones that you just want to be like, what the heck, man? Like, what the heck? Um, he was just kind of like, this is everything God said to do, and he did the exact opposite, and yet God's restoration, he still manages to redeem him and restore him, or restore the people through him. Um, Gideon was just kind of a wimp. And he's like, yeah, so I'm not going to be able to do anything to help anybody because I'm this low dude and I'm not worth it. And God says, actually, I need you to do this. And so through his weakness, God used him. And then Deborah was just the first female judge and so that we know of, the only female judge that we know of, and so I just liked her. Um, but with the story of Ruth and Boaz, that is super important. God doesn't directly move in their lives, but... Um, Ruth represents God's unconditional and redemptive love and commitment to his people. Um, the Israelites failed to kick out the inhabitants of the land. Oh, I already said that. Um, but yeah, so within the story of Ruth, it's just, um, yeah. Naomi. No, Naomi. <laughs> Naomi. 
Um, Naomi uh, was the grand uh, was the mother-in-law of Ruth, um, and she was destitute in the beginning. Her son had just died. Um, her husband had just died, and she only had two women a part of her family, and that was not good. They needed a man for that culture. Um, and so throughout the book, you see God's redeeming Ruth, but he's also redeeming Na uh, Naomi. And in the end, um, in Ruth 4, it says, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the uh, Lord, who has not left you to this day without a redeemer, and his, may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, etc., etc. And so God not only restores the fact that he, she now has a home because of the kinsman redeemer of um, her daughter-in-law's new husband, but also she gets that son, she gets that heir, she gets that continuation of her line. And then God blesses her even more, and that redeemer, or that grandchild ends up being um, a relative and great grandfather, uh, he becomes the grandfather of David. Um, so that's how you can see God is the restorer in that. The next is, da oh, sorry, um, forgot, <laughs> truly forgot that was there. Um, <laughs> David, so, <laughs> anyway, David, he was, um, yeah, so, as you can see in, um, Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel, it says, moreover, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up new offspring after you, um, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his, the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God uses David and his um, obedience and his faithfulness to him throughout all of it, throughout um, King Saul trying to kill him, through... Um, just, just everything going on, God uses him and restores him and um, brings the future, the promise of a future messianic king through his line. Um, what's going on is King Saul, the, so the people went from having judges to wanting a king. There's a lot of dispute over that, and eventually they just said, okay, fine. God says, go give you guys a king. Y'all are insane, but whatever. So they, uh, God appoints, or God anoints Saul, um, and Saul starts out kind of okay, but almost immediately kind of drops the ball and starts doing things that he shouldn't. Um, he kind of ends up going crazy, and so God is like, actually, we need King David. <laughs> and everyone's like, who's David? And he said, oh, this little shepherd boy that like is basically Cinderella. He doesn't really mean anything. Ignore him. But he's going to be king, so just hold your horses. And he is Cinderella. And so um, the Samuel, one of the prophets at the, the first prophet at the time, um, comes in and anoints him secretly, and there's a lot of stuff, and he gets Saul's attention, and um, a lot of fun stuff happens. And there's a Goliath that he kills, and um, eventually Saul sees David as a threat. He brings him into the house to work for him, but then he also sees him as a threat and tries to kill him a ton of times. Um, and it gets to the point where Saul gets so insane that he just completely chases out David. Um, and Saul's son has to help him go into hiding. Um, and that in and of itself is just so much drama. It could be a telenovela. Um, yeah, but the 
David remained faithful to God in the midst of the chaos, aside from a few incidences. There was a few times where he disobeyed God, and he sinned, and he was caught on it, he repented, and God restored him um, with consequences. But God rewarded by, uh, David by bringing him into his plan for redemption and promising a messianic king through his line. Um, yeah, and then 1 Samuel 12, 22 is God's redemptive plan for the entire people. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. He still loves his people, even though they're still continuously sinning. Um, even though the, fo the story is focused on David and his trials, it's the whole kingdom as well. Kings. Lord of the Rings, you might not understand it. Um, so what is going on during the kings? A lot of stuff. It's actually kind of scary. There's a lot of kings. I can show you the timeline real quick. Because this is going to combine prophets and kings. So this is just some of them. This is only half of it. I hated doing this. And then, scroll down, there's more. And then, so th we have Israel, and then we have Judah. So Israel is the north, and Judah is the south. Israel kind of goes bat crazy, and we they drop off the face of the earth. But then you also have some prophets in there, so they're yellow. Can you tell I don't like technology? Okay, he's over here now. See, I put in time for technical difficulties, so it's fine. Okay. Except I can't find it. There we go. So, um, what's going on over here is, like I said, a lot of stuff. Um, so the people begin to construct, so in David, in David's time, God, uh, he felt like he wanted to create a place just for, um, God, like a permanent residence before they had the tabernacle and that had to be moved and it was just a lot and there was just, people died because they were moving it incorrectly and just a lot of stuff. Um, and so... David is like, hey, I'm king now, and I have all this money, so let's build a permanent residence for God. And so he never actually gets to see the fulfillment of that, but he does plan it, and he does start to gather materials for that. Um, and so, yeah, in this time, we'll see his son Solomon, King Solomon, uh, begin the construction, um, which also reestablished the covenant that David uh, had with God. Um, with the promise of a messianic king on the throne. Um, so uh, after David died, quickly, um, there was a lot of, or before David died, he was going to anoint his one son king, and then the other side of the kingdom wanted a different son 
And there was a lot of drama with that, as always, because they're kings. And um, the kingdom ended up splitting into two. So we have Israel, which was up north, Judah down south. Um, Judah has Jerusalem, which is where the tabernacle was built. And that's where you go to worship, and you can't worship without the temple, because at that point you only had one place you could come. Um, and so when Israel split, they didn't have access to the tabernacle, or yeah, to the tabernacle, to the temple. So they kind of started having their own religions, and that's when they split off. Um, so the rest of the story is mostly focused on um, Judah. Um, and um, yeah, so Elijah and Elisha were the, the main prophets at that point. They were up in Israel, but they kind of wandered around down towards Judah as well. Um, and then Assyria was one of the big powers. Um, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Um, concerning, this, you are the, concerning this house that you are building, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to your father, David and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Again, God is just reestablishing. He has his covenant with his people. He's not forsaking them. He's still with them. He's still faithful. He's still true, even though they keep failing and falling away. And at this point, there's, yeah, God's still faithful. Um, and so there's a funny story about um, Elijah and um, basically his arch nemesis, and they had another God. And so... Um, it was like this huge test on God. Which God is greater? This God that doesn't actually exist or the God who created the universe? Um, and that showed God's faithfulness because you're not supposed to test God, but in, a, in that moment, he decided that it was worth showing his power because he is the God. He's not supposed to, You shouldn't try and go up against God. Um, yeah. So we have the early prophets. And this is a really cool picture because it is supposed to be Isaiah prophesying um, the Messianic king's birth. Um, so at this point, Assyria overtakes Jerusalem, um, and uh, Samaria falls. Um, Isaiah is the main prophet, and um, eventually Babylon takes over. Um, and then we have some kings. So this is going into, we're still in the prophets, we still have kings, but it's mostly focused on the prophets as well. Um, let me go. So God uses Isaiah as the main prophet to um, ask and cause people to turn away from um, the evil in their hearts. That's all the prophets are doing. They're usually the mouthpiece for God. Um, most of their prophecies aren't actually um, telling the future, although there is quite a bit, mostly for the Messianic king. Um, but most of the time is foretelling, not foretelling. Um, and so that's really big. Um, with Isaiah, he's constantly telling you, telling them, hey, you guys, you're, you're messing up. You're not doing this right. You're, you're missing the mark. You've got to turn back. You've got to. And he often talks to the kings as well. Of, hey, guys, you're doing this wrong. This is, what's the, this, is what our, our, um, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what our promise is. You're not, you're not listening. Um, and so some of the uh, main prophets at this time is Amos, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Isaiah, and Jonah. Um, and then we get into the late prophets, and these are the fun ones. Um, so these guys, uh, Jerusalem has fallen. They have gone into 
um, exile. Um, Bab Babylon is the main power. He, they, I say he, they are the beast that needs to be conquered, and no one's wanting to um, mess with them. So the prophets at this time, they are in exile, but their job is to still, a lot of the times God uses them as, um, I don't remember the word for it, but their lives reflect the sin in the lives of um, those around them. And so Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet, Daniel and his friends, there's the lion's den, there's the fiery furnace, um, all examples of how God's faithfulness um, is still seen, and then Ezekiel as well. Um, Daniel 3, 24 to 26, um, is talking about how um, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, it's the fiery furnace, about how he threw three people in, and then four people's in there, and everyone survived, and God's faithfulness was still there. Um, he was still trying to redeem his people. He was still trying to show his mercy. He was still trying to show his power and his grace within all of that. Um, my favorite verse out of all the Old Testament, one of my favorite verses out of all the Testament, um, is Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is super impactful, um, taken into consideration what happens in the New Testament. And I know we're not there yet, but just keep this in mind because... God is literally giving people new hearts. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a great, it's great. Um, we can see God is restored um, in the story of um, the fiery furnace. I talk a lot about that a lot because it's one of my favorites. But, um, oh, no, sorry, not the fiery furnace. This is um, the, uh, when, Nebuchadnezzar, when King Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. So, um it's talking about how King Nebuchadnezzar uh, disobeyed God and um, was going against him, and God said, I'm going to make you a beast. I'm going to show you what you're turning into by turning you into it. Um, and God let him go to that low. He let him get to that point where he was not human anymore. Um, and then after he learned his lesson, he restored him. He brought him back. He brought him back to sane mind, to sane he was not going crazy anymore. And, um, yeah, so through the discipline of King Nebuchadnezzar, he also brought restoration to him afterwards. Post-exilic and intertestamental. So, this is the fun part. Um, so there's three returns from exile. Um, after 70 years of captivity, the people of God returned to the city of Jerusalem. Um, not everyone had gone into exile. Uh, some stayed back, and the people coming back from exile did not like them because they had mingled with the inhabitants surrounding um, Jerusalem, and that was what God had said not to do. Um, so there's a lot of beef between them. Um, and so the first return was with Jeru uh, Zerubbabel, and they began um, trying to rebuild the temple. Um, God gives them the go-ahead. Uh, through the next ruler of Babylon, ba the guy, Cap or Persia, I think. Um, whoever comes into power next says, actually, I don't really want you guys here, and I want you guys to like me, so I'm going to send you guys home. You guys do whatever you want as long as you pay me money. I don't care what you do. Um, and so they were allowed to go and rebuild the temple. Um, 
and in here, Zechariah, I think that's what I did. Yes. Um, Zechariah uh, prophesied, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sins and weakness, um, to, from their sins and uncleanness. Uh, whoever is among you of all his people, may God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. His, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. Um, so that was the permission that they were granted. And then Zechariah 8 um, prophesies the um, church time, um, how many people are going to come from all nations, not just the people of God. Um, and wanting to know who he is. Also, what happens in here is the Maccabean revolt, and basically, without getting into too much details, that's how Hanukkah came about um, in the Jewish. Yeah. Um, God is restorer. Uh, whoever among you is of his people, may God be with him. So God allowed, uh, made a way for his people to return to the temple and restore a relationship with him. He invited his people into the restoration of themselves. Um, he didn't just force it on them. He invited them into the process. Jesus. <laughs> okay. So this encompasses uh, Jesus and Church Week, and so there's a lot going on. So we are finally at the New Testament, you guys. This is Jesus. This is literally what all the prophecies have been about. Um, this is what the whole purpose of everything in the Old Testament was. It was Jesus. Um, and so in this week, we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are the synoptic goggle, uh, goggles. Gospels, and um, at least I spelled that right, synoptic Gospels, and so basically that just means that they kind of, you read them together, it makes one story, um, and so we don't, yeah, there's a new covenant through his blood, we all know the story of Jesus, he was born uh, as a baby in a manger to a virgin woman, and then he didn't have any sort of authority, like worldly authority per se, um, he grew up kind of ostracized his entire life, and then he died on the criminal's cross, even though he literally didn't do anything. And Pilate even says, I find no guilt in this man at least three times, probably more. He's probably saying under his breath, I don't understand this. Um, but at least three times he says, I find no guilt in this man. Um, and yet they crucify him. Um, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He is the promised offspring that um, God promised David. Um, it's also the Genesis 3.15 uh, fulfillment. I will uh, bring enmity, I will um, put enmity between you and the woman. And so God's talking to Satan about how he's going to be struck down. Um, this guy is that guy. They're, they're the same person. God, from the beginning, had been planning the restoration of his people since long before Adam and Eve even sinned. Um, so Jesus conquered death. And he was the ultimate atonement for all, uh, for all sin. Not just one person, not just one man. All sin, everywhere, like, he's it. He's, he's done. Um, no longer do you need to go to the temple to sacrifice. There is no one place you can worship. You have God everywhere. You have access to him everywhere. Um, Matthew 28, 5-6 uh, says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Um, the women got to see that Jesus was the resurrected king. He was the resurrected Messiah who came to this earth. And then obviously Matthew 28, 18, 20. I wouldn't be a missionary if I didn't put this. Um, and it was the command that God gave, or that Jesus gave us after he came to the earth, before he sent, he went back up to heaven with God. 
he told us to go and make disciples. And the thing about this is it is not the go that is emphasized. If you look at the way the sentence is structured, it's make disciples. And that involves going out and that involves um, speaking the word. It's you need to go make disciples. Um, and so that actually leads very well into in a minute. Um, the restoration part of this is uh, Mark 1, 4 to, 4 to 20. Mark 1, 40 to 42. Um, Jesus heals a leper. And so Jesus did a lot of signs and miracles, and I didn't know which one to choose because they were all amazing um, as for restoration. But Jesus <coughs> restored this leper. And what leprosy is is, yes, it's a skin condition. It's actually a nerve condition. But it's if you were leprous, you were not allowed near anybody. Nobody wanted to touch you. No one wanted to associate with you. You were completely ostracized from the community because everyone wanted to keep their own holiness and their own purity. Um, and so he had no friends. He had no job. He had no way of making any money. He had nothing. He was destitute. He was probably going to die. Um, and Jesus came and healed him. And not only was his relationship with God restored because if you're leprous, you can't be in the temple, but also his relationships with people were restored as well. Okay, so that leads into church week with, um, sorry, lost my train. Okay, so go make disciples. So the church, after Jesus goes up, he sends us, he says, hey guys, we're, here's Holy Spirit. He's, Holy Spirit's going to help you do the thing that you need to do, and you're going to go make disciples. Not go and make disciples, you need to make disciples, but that involves going. And so who is the best goer of the Bible? was probably Paul. There might have been more, but um, Paul was kind of the big one. And so he wrote most of, um, actually, he wrote all of these books that we read. Um, but so Pentecost happened. That's when Holy Spirit came down. And so when Jesus died, the veil tore, and Holy Spirit got to come down. Now we don't need a temple. The temple is kind of irrelevant now. We still go to church, but that's not the point. The point is Holy Spirit's with us. We have access to God. The relationship is starting to be restored. Um, the first martyr was Stephen. Um, he died because he wouldn't deny Jesus. Um, and with that, a whole slew of persecution happened. Um, Saul was persecuting the church, and then God's like, actually, you're, you think you're doing this, but it's not actually good. You need to turn yourself around. So go by your Greek name because you're going to be ministering to the Greeks. Um, he never actually changed his name. It was always the same, just depending on what nation you were from. Um, and so... God's restoration within that. Um, Peter, he, I will talk about Peter in a little bit, but he had a vision. But the Gentiles um, actually had a vision about meat. And God says, eat whatever you want, which is not against, or which was against their belief. And God says, no, 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 Jesus died. It's okay now. You can eat whatever you want. It's all free. And it's insane. And so that was representative of the Gentiles of, hey, the Gentiles are actually allowed to come into my kingdom now. They're, Jesus paid the price. It's fine. Don't worry about them. Um, and so that was a huge thing because so far at that moment, only Jews were allowed. Um, Jerusalem Council was a huge, huge thing. It was a blessing for the nations, which was fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant as a promise of blessing to the nations. Through the Jerusalem Council, they realized uh, it was a group of Christians that came together and said, actually, we think that, um, yeah, Jesus wants, Jesus would want the Gentiles, Gentiles to come with us. And so, include them. And so through that, they, um, God's love was able to flow over to um, everybody else. And then the Rome was burned. 
which just increased persecution because Nero was insane and blamed it on Christians, even though I'm sure he did it. Um, uh, yes. So Paul, he wrote a lot. Um, he did a lot of missionary journeys. Paul, Paul, more Paul. A little bit of Peter and Timothy and maybe a little bit of Barnabas, but mostly Paul. Um, it was He was focused on breaking down the traditions and welcoming the Gentiles into the faith. Like I said, he was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. He was Jewish. He's like, nope, Christ everyone else is irrelevant. Christians are insane. Then he goes and says, actually, I think um, Jesus was right. And uh, so I'm going to help the Gentiles become Christian because I realize that's right. And so they he was one of the biggest missionaries in that time. Um, he really liked to write and travel, so we get a lot of interesting stories within that. Um, but Ephesians 2.8, for, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Um, he focused a lot on how man cannot bring restoration and redemption to themselves. It's God, through faith. Um, believing that Jesus was the Christ, not denying him, um, accepting him. Um, and then Romans 4 just talks about how um, it's not just the people who follow the law. The law is actually kind of null and void now. Um, Jesus gave you gave us new commandments that we have to follow, love God and love your neighbor. Um, and that's from that, everything flows. The love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all the, the fruits of the spirit, it flows from that. Um, which was really hard pill for some of the Jews to follow because they like laws, they like rules. Um, God is restorer, so in Philemon, um, it's a short book, so these aren't chapters, they're verses, for those of you who don't know. 10 to 18 are verses, because there's only one chapter. Um, but basically, God restored Onesimus through um, Paul, because Onesimus was a slave, and for whatever reason, he ran away. And that's kind of like us. We're slaves to sin, we run away, we get in trouble. Um, and then through that, Paul found Onesimus and said, actually, I want him I, he's my he's my buddy now. He's not my slave. He's my friend. He, I need him. He's my son. Um, and so that was very uh, reflective of God's sacrifice that he made as well um, to bring us out of slavery. John Weeks. Um, so this picture encapsulates John's biggest and favorite word, abide. So what's going on? Jerusalem has fallen um, John is the uh, only of the apostles that we know of that has not that does not die a gruesome death. Um, he's not persecuted, but he is sent to Patmos where he receives the revelation of revelation, um, and that just is one big prophecy uh, thing that talks. It's just God revealing His plan to bring all of humanity back to Himself in one big final fell swoop. Um, and it's not fully occurred yet. We are the continuation of that. Um, and so that's the whole revelation. I'm not going to get into the details because I don't want to. Um, love and abide. So uh, John says abide a lot. And what that means is to dwell, to live, to stay in one place. Um, and, yeah, and to, to love God and to love your neighbor and just John doesn't say anything new. He literally just says everything else that Jesus has said, but he drills that into the hearts and to the minds of the churches that he is ministering to. Um, he dies at a very old age, and so he has a lot of children um, that he ministers to. But Jesus, uh, his one thing is Jesus as the son of God 
and the Word of God. And he is the only one in the Bible. He's the only one of the um, apostles to really mention that. And um, I believe, yes, he receives that revelation during Revelation. Um, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him, and without him he was not anything made, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light sh shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. He tells us not only to abide, but also how to abide and what that looks like. Um, and then Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That is what God wanted from the beginning. He wanted that in Genesis. He had that in Genesis for a little while. Um, and so he's worked this entire Bible and even still continues to work to restore us back to a relationship with him. God is restored. This is my favorite, one of my favorite ones. So um, in John, we see, and we, in, in the other Gospels, we see that um, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed the night of his crucifixion. Peter denied that, and then denied Jesus three times. And um, it's crazy because I can't even imagine what Peter was thinking when he denied him. Of, I cannot believe the man that I spent the last three and a half years following and loving and learning from, I just denied him. The, he knew who he was. He even said it before. But So Peter denies Jesus three times, and I'm sure his heart was broken after that. He was shattered. But Jesus gives him a chance to redeem himself um, and to restore relationship with him. Um, in John 21, um, it says, it's the, uh, it's the story we all know of, Peter, do you love me? Then take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend to my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked him if he loved him, and he answered yes. So the personal revelation I have from this school and from reading the book is insane. I'm not going to try and read my text because it was 2 o'clock in the morning I wrote this, and I don't trust myself. But I will repeat the verse that um, has stuck out to me the most. Um, it was Ezekiel 36, 26. I thought it was going to be Genesis 50, 20, but it was actually God really put Genesis 36, 26 on my heart. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, throughout this reading the Bible, I always heard the word heals. I always thought the word was also super boring. Coming in, having to sit, getting to sit three hours a day, reading the book, five days a week. I really, there are some dry parts, sorry, King, but there's also some really good parts. And a lot of the verses, I have a wad of note cards that have Bible verses I plan on trying to memorize. I will be memorizing. Um, just things that God has been speaking to me about. Um, I don't, I can't really specifically pinpoint one thing that God has restored the most except for this verse of, he gave me a new heart. I didn't know what it was like to have emotion. I didn't know what it was like to feel, and God still managed to redeem that. He restored my relationship with him. He restored my relationship with the word and um, with myself. And, yeah, so there's just, I couldn't choose just one thing. I had to, yeah, just an overall encompassing God restores. The end. <laughs>